You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Welcome to the World Football Program, 107.9 FM on Radio Fremantle. Another Saturday talking football until noon. Today we have in the studio myself, Penelope Hoth. Penny, that was in full, wasn't it, Pete? It don't, was. Don't get that very often. No. Pete Skeeler. There you go. Have I got that right now? Yeah, close enough. Yeah, Pete, good one. And Lou Prospero. Good morning, Lou. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. It's been a while. There should be a lot to talk about. Yeah, well, <laughs> great to be back in the old studio here. <laughs> yep, not plenty much has to changed. talk about. There was always plenty to talk about with football. So yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, not 24 much changes seven, in here, but lots out there. Three sixty five. Absolutely, that's why we love football. It's uh, a big family at times. We can argue and conflict and still come back and chat football. And there has been a lot happening this week. It is finals week. A League Women's Finals and coming up to the end of the A League Men's season. I still find that such a mouthful to say. I wish there'd be some other kind of differentiation. Yeah, almost like they could call it A League and W League. I don't know. I, yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. My site still uses W League in a lot of places, and I've been like, ah. Oh. My head still uses yeah. W League in a lot of places. Although you could make the argument that if you're going to call it the W League, you should also call it the M League for the Men's League. It's a bit, there is a bit of discrepancy there yeah I, I don't know about that thank you everybody for listening in if you miss any part of the show you can go to our podcast on the worldfootballprogram.com.au website just look for the drop down menu that says podcast and after an hour or two when the show finishes you should get the podcast link up today on the show we will be talking a-league finals women a-League end of the season proper for the men. Andy Pascalides is going to join us from Heartbeat of Football and the Make It Red campaign. More on that when Andy's on the show. 
the Festival of Community Soccer. Yes, it is soccer in that title. <laughs> and the Lisa Devana Cup. Alan Ferris is going to have a chat to us about that. And Simon Hill from Network 10 and Paramount will chat about the A-League and I'm sure we'll have lots of other things to talk about in between and all around that. Thank you, everybody, for listening and all of our partners, Gate and Fence Hardware, Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron, Futsal WA, everybody that joins the station and becomes a member, keeps us afloat. We do appreciate that. Thank you. And everyone that posts onto our Facebook page, all, all the regulars, we do appreciate that. Um, good and bad stuff. Not too much of the bad stuff, please, but mostly the good stuff and sharing all the news. We do appreciate that. If you want to come and have a chat to us on the show, we're also good with that too. We're happy to yeah. diversify and banter, whatever. Could be club stuff, could be state stuff, could be national, international football. So let's have a chat about what's happening in the week of football now. Luke, what's been happening in your football week? Well, <laughs> it's never-ending, but uh, look, uh, the uh, profile of the uh, Women's World Cup is starting to, to lift. Um, it's starting to um, gain some momentum. Uh, Can you specify that? Like, how do you see? Where do you well, see Well, I that? see a lot more advertising on the television now. Um, it seems to be ramping up, which is good. Um, people are talking about it. I'll, I'll say also I've noticed over the last two weeks or so, Channel 7 have had a few positive football stories and that never, yeah. ever happens. Great, sorry sorry to interrupt. I just no, say, oh, no, no, that's... Genuinely that's, surprised. Yeah, especially from them. But well, it's, yeah, it's like it's, they, it's, look, they gave the glory results last week when I was watching the news and then showed some of the highlights and I'm like, yep. normally yep. we don't get that. Well, I think they're starting, not just them, but I think, the media, mainstream media, is starting to wake up how strong uh, supported our game actually is. Yeah. And the momentum, look, they can't compete, you know, either the rugby codes or the AFL cannot compete with the popularity of our code worldwide. Simple as that. I mean, they've tried to, many times to poach... Samantha Kerr, mm. she will not go cross codes. Why? Because she can't play international. Yeah. Simple as that. She, she might come back once maybe, she retires maybe, from football at maybe, 36 or something. In, 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 in the meantime, yeah. you know, what sporting woman in Australia can earn over a million dollars mm. um, playing England mm. and then play for her country? Yep. And, you know, the her form is still outstanding, but... And she's 29, so she's got another World Cup in her, I reckon. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yep. Well, she started very young and she was obviously talented from a very young girl, but it's just the, the overall of uh, the um, the atmosphere now, I think, is starting to, to ramp up. All the volunteers are now being told for the Women's World Cup if they've been accepted or not. Yes, that's me. <laughs> I am so excited. So, yeah, so that's... It's, so it, it's ho uh, it's hit local people as well, uh, and you know they've got to go through their training. It's amazing how much training you're going to have to go through just to be a volunteer. Mm -hmm. But you know FIFA is investing a lot of money um, in the volunteers to make it a, a wonderful experience for the people who are going to attend the tournament right across the country and in New Zealand. So you know it's it's fantastic. We got it on our doorstep. Hopefully. 
if we can really show the country and the world how good we can be the hosts, the Men's World Cup hopefully will come here one day. So, you know, this is this is our chance to shine as as a nation, as we did with the 2000 Olympics, mm-hmm. that we need to now give that experience to the world. So there was a lot of hopeful comments and suggestions in that conversation, but if you ask someone that's not football or soccer um, passionate like we are out in the community, I wonder what they see. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, we noticed the things that appear on the news and Network 10 is connected to uh, Paramount, so you'd expect them to have football, soccer on the news more than anyone else. But I'm, I'm not personally seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you pay for it, then you'll get it. Um, but we want it out there in the public view, the, the non um, football people, the non-soccer people, we want them to know that there's a World Cup coming and how do they know? Mm. Is it in the, it, in the it, print it, newspaper, on a billboard, uh, the non-football people talking about it in conversations? I, I don't know. Cause it, I'm a football it is person. worth mentioning also, because we're football people, like when you're on Facebook or whatnot, you're going to get the targeted ads more yes. than Joe Average anyway. Yep. So it's already got your profile, says, hey, this guy likes Correct. soccer. Um, let's throw some ads at him. Uh, I also just double-checked and my comment earlier about Channel 7 you know, being positive for a change. Uh, they actually do have the broad... I didn't realise they do have the broadcasting rights for the Women's World Cup. So, Correct, yeah. No, there we go. And I'm sure two weeks after the end of the Women's World Cup, it'll go back to, God, it's all boring, nil, all draws, and there's riots everywhere from Channel 7. Yeah, So and, and so therefore Network 10 won't be... They won't be doing... The, they're not doing the Women's World Cup, but obviously they're doing the, the A-Leagues yep. and the FFA Cup and... Um, I think, yeah, they've got the, the English FA Cup as well. Yeah, so the when the season finishes, that's when they'll finish their broadcasting of local women's football yep. and then um, Channel Ten, uh, sorry, Channel 7 will kick in and hopefully they'll absolutely splash it in the media. Yeah. So that'll be out there to the masses then. Mm. Oh, yeah, and they certainly Channel 7 have the, the ability, probably more than Channel 10, to um, really, you know, pump things up. Well, isn't it? Wonderful that we actually got networks now fighting for the rights. Yeah, it's great to to show football. Yeah, where in back in the day, say, oh, we don't want it. Do you want it? You know. So now that they're fighting for it, which is pumping money back into the code, which is a good thing, and it's also showing the networks the popularity of the game. (laughs) And we're talking about women's football Mm. now. Twenty years ago, we thought, you know. What's women's football? You know, nobody knew about it and it was just in the back burners. Now it's to the forefront. So that's always a good thing. And and, and even the stats Australia-wide, the popularity of women's football with girls now, it's the number one junior sport. And, and yet the sad thing, I have to say, not to be Debbie Downer, um, is it's not reflecting in the crowds for the W League or the A League no. women's, if you prefer. No, like we're, even we're Melbourne lucky City versus Melbourne Victory elimination. It's a local derby. It's an elimination. Guess what the crowd they got to that match was? Twelve hundred people. Seven hundred and forty-two people. Yeah, right. So, uh, and I don't know. I mean, this is Melbourne as well, where they they'll attend the opening of a tin can. So yeah, I don't is, know Peter, what happened there. But the thing is, now you can watch everything on your phone. Mm-hmm. And yeah. maybe that's maybe that's it. And maybe that's a big there was problem for me. Twenty thousand people, two hundred thousand people, whatever, streaming the game on their phone. I, I I don't believe so. 
No, but what I'm saying is, like, if I you're overseas, you for example, mm. you're on a holiday and you think, oh, you know, I wouldn't mind watching this match, you can. Yeah. Back in the day, you were tied by the, the corporate, uh, the, the media, if they're going to show it or not on on whatever channel it was or even in the print media, you, you know, you were at their mercy. Now, yeah. if you want to watch a local team back in your old country that's down the league, oh, you can. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah no, that, that's, that's true. And I believe that hurts the A-League men's, yes. um, you know, the term Euro snobs, the people that, you know, I don't watch the A-League, I still watch Manchester United because that's my team, he says, with a broad Australian accent and he's never been to the UK. But um, <laughs> you know what I mean, that, those sort of folks. But with the Women's League, I don't think anyone's got a strong association to a club back in the UK or, or Europe anywhere. I don't think there's any diehard, Ooh, massive diehard who followed Juventus women's team for the last 30 years, so they're not going to follow Melbourne Victory or Melbourne City when they're living in Melbourne. It's definitely more of a family following I reckon yeah. so I've noticed that the makeup in the crowds going to watch Perth Glory at Macedonia Park for example example is probably a whole mix of uh, young, young ones boys girls men women dads with daughters it's been great yeah. the whole balance there's, there there's nothing better than being there of course because of the atmosphere and it's the crowd that creates the atmosphere I mean my view is that we should have delayed telecasts as we had in, back in the day you know, two hours delay. If you want to go and watch, you know, don't want to know the result. You want to watch it go and watch it live, and you know the the excitement of the game. And you know, you, you're only focused on what the camera's showing you. What I like about a live game, you can see what's happening in back play. You can see the the structures starting to happen at the back as the you know there's been a turnover of the ball before the camera lens gets there. You know. That's what you don't get through the medium. But, you know, coming back to people overseas, when I was in Italy, when Del Piero was playing for Sydney FC, I was, I was at a football shop looking at football shirts and the guy said to me, you know, where are you from? I said, Australia. He goes, oh, Del Piero said Sydney. Mm. Yep. So they know. They know where their expats are. They, they know where Sydney is. Do you know? So, I reckon that would have been different. I reckon Del Piero, the, uh, yeah, the marquee that was Del Piero coming to Australia, that worked really well. He was already yeah. a global phenomenon, so when he came here, it was like woohoo. So I don't think you'll have other marquee players that are here in Australia since then. Maybe have had the same effect or reach. Mm. Uh, and that, and that's a good mm. one, and I agree with you, uh, Lou, that having um, instant access digital access anywhere in the world it does hurt football and i know simon hill talks about this a lot is that you know is is a success rated by people actually attending matches they're bums on seats mm-hmm. um or if their money and income to pay the players and fund the clubs come from elsewhere does it matter as long as people are watching the game how how are we rating the success of the game well the, the thing is is the social media or the streaming rated as it does with the the normal um, commercial television stations because they know... How many people are watching? All yeah, they'll say, you know, there was a million watching this game or there was, you know, 500,000 or whatever. I don't know how they get those numbers, but they <laughs> do somehow. So I wonder if they do it with social media. And if people pay too, because that's the key, right? If they pay for that service and that money trickles through to the actual clubs and the game itself, then that's what we want because that's what's going to fund the game and make it better. Correct, but you're not, you're not getting the social aspect. So no. when, when you go into the clubs, and this is where the clubs are hurting, 
that they've they've got to pay the, the the referees of the day. They've got to pay for you know their staff. But if, the now, money if you're not coming through and buying the, the 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 food and drinks, how are they going to be funding? And then, okay, are you it, talking about local grassroots football or are you talking about A yeah, League well, football? Because all, money funds from streaming services and yeah. other incomes, revenue streams, um, sponsorships, for example, if that goes to the top end and then is filtered back down again, then it could get to that same place just in a different mm. way. So what would you prefer, that you get the money coming down the streaming process and have zero crowds? I'd prefer or, both of those things. I'd prefer <laughs> lots of crowds and the money coming from the yeah. <laughs> with, well, with yeah, regards you, you to can't. your question about the, the numbers, um, so the, the TV's done with Oztam, I believe the company is. So it, it's, a serv- it's a sample. They've got a 1,000 or whatever households that supposedly fill in a form and fill in an, a website or whatnot saying what they're watching is... With streaming, they're actually more accurate because they know, you know, they can literally say how many phones, devices, whatever are streaming it. But what they don't know with the streaming is how many people are watching it. So Correct. if I stream it, it, it goes. So if I'm watching the Glory game and I'm casting it to my TV, they can probably even tell that. They go, all right, this guy's watching the Glory game. They don't know whether I'm sitting on the couch by myself or I've got a couple of mates over watching it. Correct. And so, mm. I mean... Well, that's the same with television, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, the theory is with the Oztam thing, they're supposed to fill in a bit more detail as to how many people are watching and stuff. Right. But right. you're relying on Joe Public to be, be accurate with their yeah. forms there. Not even be honest, just, just be accurate. Yeah. Just know what they're doing. We had 40 people here and I was there on my own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's how the AFL gets the ratings. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because, yes, on the ground, survival might equal people in your club or in your stadium. But if the world is changing and that's not how the world is enjoying their football or experiencing life, then we have to find another way, Lou. And what's but, the other way? But the other thing is, if you're even if you're at home watching it, it's less enjoyable if it's a big empty stand. Now I'm, you know, I'm more True. focused what's happening on the pitch than off the pitch. Yeah. But still, you know, watching watching a Sydney Derby where they've got forty thousand and the crowds are going off. Yeah. That that feels better than watching, you know, Western United play and you know the stadiums are empty around. So there. in that scenario, then the outcome could be that Perth Glory reside at Macedonia Park and they fill the stadium and the media see a filled stadium and then if they make finals, they go to a bigger stadium. But any special games, they just but play in a bigger stadium. the interesting part for me was that you, you see Macedonia Park, it's a sellout and then you see all these empty seats. Now, a sellout is considered that the seats have been bought yeah. but people haven't actually turned up. Yeah. So you, you're thinking, well... You know, I wouldn't have mind going to watch that game. I heard it was a sellout. I yep. couldn't get in. And then you look in all these... You I know, don't know how you change that, three, Lou, though. 400 yeah. seats empty, you know. People just didn't turn up. Now, now before we um, talk about other things, let's just talk about local football because there are lots of things happening in the local space over the weekend. Um, all the leagues are kicking off, I think, this week or actually next week. We've got supposed Cup to be... Round this week. There's... There was cup rounds last week. There's more cup rounds this week. I don't know about last week, but there's certainly yeah, cup round this week. I played week. in a cup round last week. 15-1. We won. 15-1. Who did you play? Ellenbrook. Sorry, Ellenbrook. So but you can say you really took them to Ellenback with that scoreline. Oh, no. No, no, no. There was an amazing play oh on the God. right wing for Ellenbrook at um, uh, Aboriginal Lass. She was super awesome. I do not see many Aboriginal players in our game at all. Mm-hmm. Melissa Spillman is one of them, who's the artist for the 
uh, Festival of Community Soccer. When we talk to Alan uh, Ferris a little later, we'll talk about that. Yada Wyman for Sydney FC, yeah. goalkeeper. Yep. Tanya Oxby, I think she's um, got some oh, I think, in mm, her jeans there. Yeah. Pretty sure, yep. Now coaching at um, Chelsea. Was uh, Western Waves, Perth Glory in the early days. Mm. Yeah, so there's not, not many out there, but uh, amazing athletes, all of them. Um, and just a couple of things from the news. I don't know if you've heard, but um, Perth Glory and Tony Sage is <laughs> doing the... I have no idea, but... Um, it, so long as it's not a cryptocurrency uh, blockchain know. firm. Um, Perth Glory is for sale again, apparently. Yeah. Anyone out there? Should we crowdfund it? I wonder what would happen if we put I'd, up a post and we crowdfunded. Would people oh. be interested to save their club and put this money I'd in? I'd be interested to see what's more common, Perth Glory being up for sale or Perth Glory's coaching staff doing a rebuild for next season because I feel like both of those happen way more often than they should. Hmm. So the State Football Centre is, is zooming along. And um, I, I read some things about that this week. I didn't realise it, it was only a 700-seater stadium. They said that there's the potential to expand that. I'm mm-hmm. not quite sure if they just mean um, put more stands bunnies. in eventually yeah. um, or they have some way of you know growing it for special events. I don't know. But um, I, I thought we'd have more people being able to be in the stadium at one time that's what's it for like who's who's playing there um i guess that's that's where you well it'll be the finals the finals definitely be playing there uh the lighting and i guess the night series Mm -hmm. uh home of the ntc yeah yep and there'll be um i suppose that means perth glory oh no perth glory women can't play there because they are at masoni park for the next two seasons yeah well yeah yeah, I'm, i'm not sure but I would have thought that, you know, um, visiting teams coming from yep. either interstate or, you know, I remember in Asian 2002 region. we went to Highmarsh Stadium, WA played SA mm-hmm. um, to um, to mark 100 years of football in um, the, the first very interstate game that WA played was against SA. So that ended up being a nil or draw. Uh, I was uh, I was there and um, hundred years was nineteen ninety six right the inaugural year of football hall of fame was well, the of same? the first ever international uh, sorry interstate Inter- interstate, uh, interstate, sorry, interstate, sorry, interstate it's interstate yeah football yeah. so yeah that was um, so things like that I mean and, and I don't know why we don't have a lot more interstate games because SA said to me at the time we need to do this regularly and I said mm. well why not and. It, it hasn't happened since, unfortunately. There's a lot of other competitions out there now, Lou. I mean, yeah. with COVID shutting down a few things. But it's all money too. Many. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, it's not cheap to fly so a whole team over here or over so there. Far away. Oh, and, totally. you know, the deal was that we we um, actually fly our team over there and SA put on the accommodation and hmm. um, the, the rest of the cost. So, you know, that's, again, like you say, this is the FF. A Cup or the FA Cup now. Yeah. And uh, and, and even just the A-League, you've, you've got a national correct, correct. top division. And again... Except for Tasmanian. Except, yeah, yeah. But, uh, and again, I don't mean to keep coming back to it, but the exact same example exists in the AFL world. You know, before the AFL became a national competition, State of Origin was pretty big, you know, West Australia versus Victoria. Yeah. Now, and that exactly the same thing, that fizzled out because... Everyone wants to see, you know, their local team, the Eagles or the Dockers, played. No one really cares about Western Australia versus Victoria or South Australia anymore. 
And, you know, I think that applies at any level. As soon as you've got a, a national league, a national competition, sort of the representative state level thing fades in importance, shall we say. Except for the NRL. The Blues versus Ex- Okay, that's the exception. The, the exception <laughs> that's that proves became the religious rule now. Yeah. <laughs> Pen, uh, can we just uh, quickly touch on uh, the yep. Women's World Cup again? Yep. Uh, but in, in particular, now, if you don't mind, we focus on referees. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big uh, recruitment drive always for referees, with male, male, female, but we'll focus more on females now because the Women's World Cup again coming up. We've got three representatives from Australia um, hmm. in this up-and-coming tournament. I've got four. Okay. There we go. Tell us your three and then we'll see <laughs> <laughs> who you've overlooked. Yeah, but you're on the Referees Technical Committee for Football West, correct? Correct, yeah. yes. So uh, there is a recruiting run going at, at the moment. Um, so if there's any young girls out there or females that are wanting to become a referee, you do have a career path like the men. Um we had uh, Kate Jasowitz. Yep. She she was the uh, women's representative in the 2021 Olympic Games from Tokyo, mm-hmm. uh, representing our country. Uh, we've had women uh, going to the Under-17 Women's World Cup in India, uh, in the Women's World uh, Under-20s Women's World Cup in Costa Rica. Uh, Lara Lee. Uh, Sarah Ho, she's been mm-hmm. around for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, very capable uh, referee. Um, then the Women's Asian Cup last year, we had uh, Casey Rabbit and yep. Lara Lee again, and Joanna. Now, may Cherokees, yep. yeah. So, so I believe those four that you've listed are the four that we've got for the Women's World Cup correct. coming up as well. So and one more I've just noticed as well. So that, that's information that I've got through Matthew Cheeseman via <laughs> Frank Moretti. So thank you guys for that information. So the point I'm trying to make here is that the the, the growing game, we're, we're a victim of our success because the game is growing so quickly that the referee numbers are, are not keeping up with it. So if... Any clubs out there, you know, it's a good idea if you had one or two uh, people even more go through the referees course and become a referee because everybody's, you know, always complains we don't have a referee, we don't have an official referee. We spend a lot of time recruiting and it's hard to recruit in different structures and different ways in the recruitment. But then the hardest thing is to keep them and the reason being is the way they're being treated. You've got to, you know, we've got the, the sign on the side there, respect. Mm. You know, that's number one. They got, they're learning what they don't. When I was president of Westside Soccer Club, which uh, now is Kingsley Westside, at the time, people, I was on the sideline and they were having to go at the young referee. Mm. I said, yeah. you know, your children are learning. So is the referee. Yeah. They're learning as well. They're going to make a lot of mistakes and hopefully make less as they come through the ranks. But, you know, we see monumental mistakes in the middle of a World Cup. Now, yeah. these guys have been there for 20, 25 years and they still... The reason they make mistakes, one thing, we're human, mm. right? They're going to make mistakes as much as, you know... I said to Francis Burns one day when I was refereeing, their, their forward went for... Uh, got the ball, ran forward, one-on-one with the keeper, 
belts it over the, 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 the post, over the crossbar, and then he comes up after the game, he says, oh, you know, you did this and that. I said, mate, you're going to go and talk to your forward when he had a one-on-one and completely missed the goal? Go and have a go at him. He cost you the game, not me, mm-hmm. right? So they, they focus yeah. on the referee for a controversial decision. Yeah. But, you know, a forward can do 10 mistakes and say nothing. Yeah. So let's get it all in balance. Perspective. Let's, let's mm. leave the referees alone. Let them do their job, right or wrong, because they might do things wrong as players do and they'll learn from it. But give them that chance because if you destroy their confidence, they're gone. Mm-hmm. And trying to uh, retain them because of the abu- abuse or the way they're being treated, it's not right. You know, you've you got to give them the chance as much as your child to uh, get that confidence and get that experience and for them to rise above it all and become the best referee they can. And there is a career path, as I just mentioned, the ladies who are there now representing our country. They don't get there overnight. You know, they have probably 10 to 15 years' experience to get to rise on the world stage. And we need to get behind the referees because, you know, we say amongst ourselves as referees, there are three teams out there, not two. And we work as a team, even more so now they're all wired up. Yep. I mean, I could imagine what I would have been saying back in the day when I was wired <laughs> up, but you couldn't say things. <laughs> so, so, but, you know, and, and the other thing is they use that technology at um, interstate tournaments to be coached. So you actually have the coach now in the referee's ear saying, you know. the co- Sorry, the referee's coach? Yeah. Okay. So they'll be saying to them, you know, go wider, get closer to the ball, get, you know, you know, look across the your ARs, um, you know, uh, the, the ball's gone out of play and say, you know, look at your positioning now, can you be in a better position? All these sort of things that the general public don't know. Mm. So I think it's a good tool to have. Mm. Um, you don't want them interfering with their decision-making but with their positioning and uh, where they could be in a better place to see an incident uh, or something's going on in back play, that's where the ARs come in, you know. Number seven did this to number two, for example. Do, do you, you know, know, Lou, I agree with everything that you're saying there and I really like the uh, the system of uh, the, the referee coaching. Mm. That's great. And wh- What it kind of gets me thinking about is if that's working... What's not working is the player behaviour and what's causing that is the club and the culture or the system around that player. So that could be the uh, coach, it could be the player's upbringing, it could be the parents if they're kids. You know, those things are a culture around that that needs to affect that good stuff and allow it to to be fostered and and happen. And, And I think of clubs and their cultures and... You know, when you go to some clubs, you can probably think of, wow, you know, that club has a style about it and it might mm. be that they've got hard players or the, the facilities are never quite up to speed or they... Or um, they're just dirty. <laughs> Sorry, that was... A, yeah. Are you talking cockroaches or are you talking like the way that they play? Oh, I'm, I'm talking the way they play. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, so when they know, provide their own linesman, he never flags their guys offside. <laughs> and... 
I'm thinking more of, I'm like I'm coming from the Sunday league level. So yeah, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. But it, that also that comes from the top pen. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Again, when I, I eventually became the president of Westside Soccer Club, we had coaches that were constantly being fined for having go at the referees. The club was paying for those fines, right? Mm. When I took over, I said no. If you open your mouth, it's going to cost you the money. Mm. And, you know, that culture changed overnight. So there are things that clubs can do to assist the referees, to assist the clubs in their discipline, on the field. You know, if the player's going to cop a fine or, you know, have a week, you know, all all these clubs spend so much money trying to get players off when they've blatantly done something wrong. And, you know, they bring in the solicitors. Now I'm talking about the high end of the game, bringing in all these solicitors saying, oh, you know, this could be construed, this and that, you know. Take personal responsibility. Exactly. Change the culture. Right? But yep. it, the culture's got to be led from the top. And you've got to change it from the top. Could and if, you, if you've, got, strong you've got the dirty clubs, mm. you know, you've got the dirty player, we don't want you representing our club. See you later. Yeah. Mm. Simple as that. Can I? We're going to have to have a chat to Andy Pascalidis soon, but I did want to cover a few other things that are happening. Um, so the women's Stup state cup round, uh, women's state cup round one is this weekend. Australia cup round four uh, is this yep. weekend for the for the men. Yeah. Yep. Uh, in fact, it kicked off last night with Florida Athena taking care of Jaguar three one, and then all the other results, uh, all, all the other matches, I believe, are today and tomorrow. So mostly today. Yep. Did you want me to run through some of the fixtures? No, not at this moment, okay, just fine. to make everyone aware that they're happening. There's a whole weekend of football. It's not a long weekend, but I think some people are going to take a weekend. <laughs> yeah, Monday. Because yeah. <laughs> Anzac Day falls on Tuesday. That's a Remembrance Day for um, all of our Anzacs there. And I think it takes a lot wider meaning these days because of our multicultural society, which I actually quite love about Anzac Day mm-hmm. now. Um, but, yes, Monday could be. A holiday for some, so it might be a long weekend. A lot of football happening with a long, the, long weekend. Yeah, all, all the cups happening. Um, there's a AFCB coaching course upcoming at Gibney Reserve, starting in May. Go to footballwest.com.au to find out more about that. There are some spots available for that coaching course. It's good that higher level coaching courses are happening more often here in Perth, which is great for the pathway. You don't have to travel outside of West Australia. It adds heaps of cost to upskill there. The under-16 AFC Round 1 qualifiers are happening soon with uh, three West Australians in the Young Matildas squad. This is the Young Matildas, yep. And yep. I was saying off-air, I'm very jealous because the games are being played in Mongolia, so they're out there probably already there or en route there yep. to um, Mongolia. They've got uh, in their group, it's Mongolia and Chinese Taipei. Uh, top team goes through. Um, they also had Bhutan in the group as well, if you know your... Um, Himalayan isolated I do, countries. I do not. Ah, it's a fantastic little country. National sport is archery there. Wow. Um, okay. So yeah, uh, yeah, uh, they they'd withdrawn. So just um, those those three nations competing, which you kind of hope, without sounding cocky, that Australia should get through in that in that group. Three West Australians: Jess Skinner, Ruby Cuthbert, formerly of Mum FC, <laughs> and Ishia Brooking. Okay. Well done, girls. Yep, uh, and a couple of things I did want to mention. Um, Sally Shippard this week come out in the news um, suffering from cancer and there's a, a few um, support groups that have popped up. If you want to know more about that, you can go to um, the Matildas uh, website or Facebook page. Um, there's links there. Um, the, yeah, the Combank Matildas um, page is certainly supporting uh, Sally Shippard, former Matildas mm-hmm. um 
progress there. And we, we wish her all the best and uh, all, the, all the best wishes definitely for her and her family and the support that will be needed to go through whatever it is that Sally's going through. Um, the Football West State Centre, I didn't quite uh, finish what I was going to say earlier there. Um, it was supposed to be ready a lot earlier than it is. It's going to be ready for the Women's World Cup, obviously. It's in Queen's Park. Um, yeah, I'm really... I, I'm actually a little bit nervous about things with, with that. It's now... April, it's coming up to May, the Women's World Cup is starting in a couple of months and I really want to see it in the news saying, it's done, opening is such and such, that's what I'm kind of hoping for. Um, numbers are increasing, the um, Football West took a little bit of a hit uh, last year or the year before with COVID but it's bounced back with numbers, um, so play the game, go and register if you haven't um, found yourself a team yet and you're still wandering around, not sure what to do, it's great for your health, great for society and the football season is... You know, it's all on now. Man, there's so much happening. NPL, men's and women's and cups, and we'll talk more about it through the show, but we'll go to break now because we're going to get Andy Pascalides on the line. This is Penn, Lou and Pete on the World Football Program. Stay with us to talk more football. 107.9 FM, your local station. Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432-745-140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron is a fourth generation family business. Bring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Welcome back to the World Football Programme. Louis Prospero, Football West Life member, Pete Skeeler, A-LeagueStats.com man, and Penny, women's football passionate. <laughs> <laughs> In the studio with you. And on the line we have Andy Pascalides. Good afternoon. Andy, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm out at uh, grassroots football here in Sydney. Um, at, a, at a very special day, it's the most historic uh, Memorial Day, and Dimos was a lovely uh, young man with a young family who tragically we lost uh, almost 20 years ago. He was in his mid-30s playing the game that he loves, um, and it's a game that's brought so many people, not just here but around the world, so much joy. So it's a commemorative day of, of football yeah. activities? Yeah. Yeah, it's good right now, actually. Wingap, which is special needs, um, there's three charities that Page with Botany, a famous club in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, support 
um, the Windyap, the Women's Shelter and Harpeter Football. And it's just uh, three different types of NFPs. And we were always out here testing. And it's a good precursor too for next weekend. We've got our inaugural Show Some Heart Makers Red, um, where we're fundraising for women's heart disease, undetected cardiovascular issues, and, of course, the charity. So there's there's a real movement happening, and um, we're blessed in so many ways that the football family is embracing it, but we do know we need to get to the west of Australia. Um, we've had some great dialogue with people like Alex Novartis, who I know very well. I've hung out with Alex at the Borneo Cup last year. No doubt he's listening. Cheerio to him and to everyone else in the west of uh, Australia. And one of my besties, of course, is one of the greatest uh, soccerers we've ever seen, Stan Lazarita. So I always love... I, I miss getting to Perth, not as regularly as I once did, but I know that I will get there this year um, because we need to do our first ever testing days in the west of Australia and Perth is the obvious place to start. Uh, we had a chat to you many years ago, I, I think, Andy, before yeah. this organisation maybe got off and running when you were trying to figure out how to get out there and educate everyone, I think. That's, that's right. I mean, for me, look, this became personal for me in 2014. Um, my teammate passed away next to me and there was no mechanisms in place to react. There was no defibrillator. The education awareness was very limited. Um, so it took up to mid-2016 when I started the journey. Um, and, and that journey has been uh, a blessing in many ways because I've, I've managed to engage in all the cardiovascular conferences and deal directly with the Heart Foundation, Victor Chen Cardiac Research Institute. Now with FIFA Communications there with their medical team, we're part of the global registry. I report to them every incident. And look, the sad reality was between 2014 and 16, we had 15 players uh, die uh, in 18 incidents. And in the last couple of years, there's been 15 saved, uh, 16 saved. I've heard of about another save when I was testing in Newcastle last week. So 16 saved in 19 or 20 incidents. I've got to recheck the records. But uh, quite honestly, now this year we've had three players um, in the Eastern States saved in four incidents. And in those three cases, the defibrillator was accessible and effective CPR was performed. And that's what I want. I want defibrillators at every sporting ground in the country. And I want us to, to just make it as safe as we can because... You know, no one should you know, no one should die playing the sport they love, and we should all be able to get home to our families after a wonderful experience, whatever club, whatever level we play at. Well, when you think the, it's uh, Louis Prospero here, uh, Andy. Uh, when you think the cost of a defibrillator versus the cost of a life, I mean, it's nothing exactly. really. So when you, you think you could just you know go out there and, and just purchase one, uh, easy accessible if something happens. Um, yeah. It's a wonderful tool. I, re I remember when um, Kerry Packer first had a the heart attack. Yeah. yeah, and he had a heart attack, and uh, they didn't have any of them on board the ambulances. Mm -hmm. He made sure that everyone in you know New South Wales and the rest of the country had one. Yeah. So it's amazing when yeah. one it happens to a particular person, high profile like that, how things can change very quickly. But look. Very quickly, I can give you some quick numbers. Um, John Aaron, um, he was the first politician in Victoria to put defibrillators out there, 3.7 million. And amazingly, not long after he did that, you know, a year or 18 months after, he, he wasn't feeling well, presented himself at his local hospital in Geelong and had a heart attack in the hospital and was saved. 
you know, look, without a defibrillator and a cardiac arrest, the chance of survival is anything between 3 to 5% tops. With a defibrillator accessed and used quickly, it's up to 70% chance of survival. I know which numbers I prefer. Mm, yeah. um, it's, it's vitally important that, as a game, uh, that we work together. Uh, we pride ourselves as being the best and biggest game. But our charity will be evolving into Heartbeat of Sport this year. We'll be the designated charity of the Australian Masters Games in Adelaide later this year. We're testing at AFL. We're meeting with rugby league and cricket. Um, my priority is the game I love, that I've always loved since I was... Oh, God, I was nine years old, I think, when I first really understood the game in terms of playing and supporting. But um, I, I just think it's incumbent on, on, on our sport to take leadership because the highest-profile incidents have only been football, but we've seen in NFL, we've seen in basketball, we've seen in cricket. I mean, with the passing of Shane Bourne, the increase in Australians getting checked for heart disease, it's gone up 25%. In our testing model that I do with my charity that FIFA recognises most unique, and I'm here now taking blood samples on the spot and giving you your blood sugar, cholesterol and blood pressure. Last year, in a record uh, 55 testing days across the eastern states, um, 48% of people tested presented issues. Pre-COVID, it was 28. This year, we've had readings where it's been 64%. And I put it down to inactivity, sitting at home, not being active, not getting uh, regular checkups, lack of mobility, you know, sitting on the lounge, mm. working on your iPhone or iPad or laptop or computer and, and not doing what you normally would do. Well, that's a problem, Andy. And the other thing is that, you know, maybe there should be a media campaign with, across all codes uh, with the high, well, that's high what we're profile. Looking at. We're looking, yeah. yeah, we're looking at it as a community thing. Look, we had a state election in New South Wales, and I know that we did half of football, um, the Har Foundation, Greg Page, the famous wiggle. There's an alliance that's been set up in the last twelve months, and there are supreme and people in this space uh, that are working on it, um, and and we're part of that. We're proud to be part of that. But we know that we have to push federal government because the reality is, and I'm learning as I go, we've had uh, the, the, the spend on the spend on um, uh, health by all governments. The spend is around 200 to 210 billion dollars a year, mm -hmm. right? What I do know that only 1.5% of that is for preventative. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we need to really change that dynamic, and there's nothing better than educating and making people aware, and that's what our little humble testing model does. We are reaching out to many more people, uh, and it's vital that we do that. We did 2,000 2, tests last year, 55 testing days. Our, our core mission is to get up to 100-plus testing days and to get into places that we haven't been before. But mainly, sorry, Andy, mainly most of this stuff happens is when it happens to you or your family member that That's you become right. very right. conscious of, of this sort of stuff. And, you know, the yeah. more people, like you say, should present to their doctors at least once a year. And it doesn't matter what age you are. Just for a general maintenance because the, Yeah, I mean, you, your blood tests, I mean, even yeah. if it costs you $40, you know, for the consultation because Medicare pays for the rest of it. 
you know, to get your blood done once a year for $40, I mean, that's not a lot of money. But I think it's more than it's that, not. isn't it? It's, it's about awareness. If you're presenting to clubs and, and um, trying to change the culture that you should keep yourself healthy and, and, you know, maybe if you do a blood test and you identify some problems... Um, then they'll go to their doctor and then they'll become more aware of it. But as a as a culture, we want to be focused on prevention. So the education out in the community is not about going to the doctor. It's about how you look after yourself before you have to Absolutely. present to the doctor. Is it you're, are you eating yeah. right? Are you in, Before you play a game, you don't go out to 2 o'clock in the morning and, and have your high-caffeine drinks to get to the game at 10 o'clock in the morning. Pete's, Pete's smiling at me. Because you, did you do that in your youth, Pete? High caffeine drinks when you're out at two in the morning? No, no, oh definitely. Oh, my God, so many of the kids... We go, do it know, now. Have, yeah, oh, my God, they, the kids come to games, like the, the adolescents with these energy red drinks. bull yeah, and energy yeah. drinks. And I'm yeah, thinking, they don't need it. They, they need to know that they are not good, like to you know, keep your body going for as long as possible in life at a healthy rate and stay away from doctors, sorry, doctors and the medical system. We want to prevent all of that. It's yeah. the education that comes before going to the doctor. I'm very passionate about that too. But how, how, how often do we hear the, you know, the, the commercials going, you know, f- uh, the fruit and veg and, you know, eating less fried foods? I mean... Not enough anymore. Well, you know, people complaining how, you know, takeaway food is getting very expensive. Well, that's good. <laughs> you know, the more expensive it is, the better you want to eat healthy. So Buy raw foods and Yeah, and, and, and I think, you know... What you're doing there, Andy, bringing it to the fore. I mean, I've seen you on commercial television talking, you know, various morning programs about it and putting it out there. But I think they need to speak about it more often. Yeah. 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 Um, the, the other you thing know, too is facilities. Like if you if you're going to put a defibrillator defibrillator in places, or just um, you know a space that has a chart of you know being aware of this, or go test here or whatever, you, you need a facility. And oh, I don't know here in Western Australia, some of the facilities are they're used with other sports, or you can't get access to them. They're being built, and there's a portal loo. And there's just all these facilities need to be upgraded to help facilitate this kind of thing. But Penny, I'll go even further. Why wouldn't you have one at home? You know, or have one in the car. I mean, most new cars you buy now have got a first aid kit. Why don't you have a defibrillator in the back? You're driving along, you see somebody fall on the street, you know, you pull up and you go, how can I help you? They're having a heart attack. Bang, you're there. Are you allowed to do that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. Really? I believe all public transport, all, all buses have them. Oh, do they? Days, yeah. Well, that's good. How big is a defibrillator? I don't have a picture in oh, my mind. Oh, they're only about so big. Box, okay, yeah. like a, a over-shoulder bag kind well, of Well, uh, as big as a first aid kit, really. Okay. A, a standard car yeah. first aid kit. Gotcha. Mm. Right. And they're getting small, aren't they, Andy, I think? They are. There's, there's, newer models, there's newer models that are out there now that you can literally carry around. Um, I have a defibrillator in the donated vehicle that a lovely uh, gentleman here, Nick Carr from Crash Claim, donated. It's a, a portable ad- advertisement, basically. I've, I've been to Lismore this year. Tim Cale's our global ambassador. We've got Caitlin Ford, Heather Gary, Tony Vidmar, Kiki Normoff as ambassadors. I've been Fantastic. in that van to Melbourne, Lismore twice, where we donated defibrillators to clubs that lost everything. Imagine the devastation there. I went back there a year on. Adam Gilchrist, uh, his brother, uh, they're big football fans. Um, a lot of people wouldn't know this. Uh, Adam's brother actually played NSL back in the day. And uh, I was there at Bismore as well uh, doing testing. We did World Pride. We did the Bondi Rescue Lifeguards. We're doing Special Olympics for the first time tomorrow. 
Uh, we're at Marrickville Red Devil. Oh, dear. Oh. Okay. Oh, yeah, Andy, back in a moment. You yeah, chatting around. Right. Yeah, I think so we, we have shared the, uh, have shared the link to, to the Heart, uh, Heartbeat of Football website on our Facebook group if, if anyone wants to check it out. I was just having a bit of a poke around with it then and it, it was quite interesting. The, the stats he was giving uh, given on the website, 2014 to 2016, they had 15 deaths and three people saved. 2017 to 2019, so the next three years, they had three deaths and 14 saves. Um, and then in 2021, they've had eight saves and no deaths. So that's 17% to 28, uh, to 82% to 100%. So that's a, a pretty good turnaround, uh, you have to say. Well, any any life save is worth saving, of course. Yeah. You know, you need to lose one, it's one too many. But, you know, it's, and it's a bit due to the fact that um, is it because that people have been unfit for such a long time and then jump into exercise all of a sudden? Because, you know, when you go to a doctor, they say, well, you got your work yourself back to fitness gradually, not, you know, just go from zero to 100. I, I think it's just kind of more a case of... I, I would imagine it's mostly 35-plus people, um, yeah. you know, age 35-plus. You can get a heart I, attack I, at any age, but you'd be... Yeah, get, certainly against the odds to, to get one. In I just make that age range just now, <laughs> just <laughs> twice over. Actually, if I can give you a quick update on the saves, apologies for dropping out, but you know how I mentioned the fifteen saves in recent times yep. in Australia. Yeah. We're talking about a nine-year-old Jake Bacon whose wow. um, family wow. didn't know that one of his arteries was not connected to Jeez. his heart. Fourteen-year-old Ava has a party on the Gold Coast. Young Tyler, 16-year-old in Brisbane. Jess Amato, 21-year-old in Melbourne. A lot of this is genetic. And then what has to happen is that the siblings also get checked. And even in the event of a player having a cardiac arrest, it's vitally important the siblings get checked. And most times they, they find that they carry the same genes and then they will undergo heart surgery mm. and, and ensure and ensure that they, uh, they live a, a, as good a life as they can yeah. from here on. And, and, it, it, you know, it's very important that you do touch on that education and the awareness and the access to defibs and everything else. Frank Bangello, uh, an old mate of mine from my SBS days, I used to see him in Adelaide. He's now a politician. He pushed state government to make it mandatory that defibrillators are actually uh, accessible in public places. Fantastic. I think uh, as a proud sporting nation, mm. the one thing that uh, grassroots sports and grassroots football, for that matter, all of it, is the number of people that engage at their weekly sporting, you know, fixture and location. It's it should be mandatory that defibrillators are there. The, the best model I've ever seen in this country in our game is the Manly Warringah Association, which is the biggest in the country, over twenty thousand registered players. No games go ahead unless the defibrillator is on the halfway line with a teardrop banner wow. that says "Heart Health mm, Zone." Yeah. And each preseason, each preseason, they have the defib cup where all clubs have to come and all clubs have to bring their defibrillators and we check them. Oh. We found 640. And we also provide confidence sessions, AED, CPR. So 327 players that engage in that day can walk away having that confidence to take on that important role of being a, a, a first responder. The chain of survival that Greg Page pushes so eloquently. Um, and then we tested over 100 players on top of all that. So that is the, you know, the... The, the best model I've seen. Um, and again, it's a, a leadership by our game in our country. Um, I will be doing testing for FIFA staff no matter what. I'm desperately trying 
to get approval to give three heart health checks during the Women's World Cup. That's a, a work in progress, even though we're less than 100 days out. But um, like anything, you know, I've taken this mission on since 2014. Um, it's an important mission. And I try to juggle it with my commentary commitments in India, but I decided not to go back this season. Mm. So I've been there seven years straight. But I was able to, to, to work on the charity and do that and pay my bills by working in India. <laughs> but, look, you know, um, when I when I meet families of survivors um, and see the reaction, um, it gives me great joy. But the hardest part is when I have to f- fill out the reports to FIFA and I have to communicate with the families that have lost players. Um, there needs to be a better support mechanism for, for people in this space, and that's the next part of the charity. Um, when we check people and we find that they have issues, how can we make sure and monitor that they actually follow up with their GP? Um, it's great being tested, but you take that report, what do you do next? Yeah. So there's, a, there's, a, there's such a process involved. Um, it, can, it can happen, it can work, we can make a difference, but we've got to be a collective and unified as one. And I'm praying and hoping that what I'm doing with a wonderful team of volunteers can force change. I know that in New South Wales, that change has resulted in $6 million being rolled out by the state government for defibrillators. Yeah. And so, what about local no, government, Andy? I mean, local government may, owns most of these community club centres. Um, surely yeah. they can put money in their budget to have... You know, have all these items there Absolutely. at the club rooms. So, are yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, we've all seen how some amazing upgrades right around the country. If you're spending, you know, eight hundred thousand new dressing rooms and all that, can you not just factor in three or four thousand for exactly. a fully equipped defibrillator? That not only the football teams use in winter, but then the cricket and softball teams exactly. and touch footy teams can yeah. use it in summer. Yeah. Um, and that's what our alliance, this sudden cardiac alliance that we have, we met in Canberra for the first time around this time last year. Uh, we've, had, uh, we've had conferences in Brisbane and Lawn in Victoria. Um, the dialogue continues. Um, but, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, the, our charity is like the canary in the coal mine. We're doing the hard yards with, and our data is looked at by all the key medical protagonists in this space. Because we're the only ones doing what we do in sport. Mm. We know that. And that's why other sports are reaching out. And that's why we know we have to evolve into heartbeat of sport at some stage this year as well. But for me, um, on a personal note, I think it's vitally important that we've not tested in Western Australia yet. And if there's any politicians or people with position of power and influence or corporates, um, there is something that I will be doing in WA, but I can't announce it. It will be in the Pilbara region. And it's backed by some heavy hitters that love what I'm doing. And I've got meetings with them coming up in Sydney in the next fortnight. So I can keep you guys up to speed, but I just want to get across the WA and, and, and show the model and, 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 and try and keep it as an ongoing initiative uh, for years to come. Now, I'm seeing Alex Novatsis at a meeting on Monday night, so I'll tell him you said hi, but that <laughs> might be a little link there with uh, Football West if you need a little bit of a push. And if you come here, you can certainly sit in the studio and, and talk to our listeners about it. Oh, yeah, imagine imagine if Heartbeat of Football was at the Lisa Devana. I think you've got a, a football festival in her honour coming up. We're yeah. actually talking to Alan Ferris from Fremantle about that after yourself, yes. Oh, yeah, well, there you go. Imagine if we were there 
do the testing to show that that testing model. And Lisa has been such an amazing servant of the game. Uh, what happened towards the end of her career is so disappointing, as we know. Um, but what a player! I mean, and 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 obviously. For us, having Caitlin Ford and Heather Garriock as, as ambassadors is massive. And also, um, I can tell you that Nikki White is on my board. Nikki White manages Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford. So that's the level of sort of interest that I'm getting. And, and Tim Cale's just been a gun from day one. Um, and, and, you know, we, we, we did testing for the Players Football Association before the Socceroos left for the World Cup. We tested at Football Australia headquarters where Tony Gustafsson tried CPR for the very first time. And this is the thing, you, 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 you sort of highlight education and awareness through this interview. And when your national women's coach has never tried CPR, it tells you something. Andy, before we let you go, I, I just wanted to know some stats or just uh, any, any uh, you know, graph things. With the increase of Masters football in the community, as in walking football, um, veterans football, you know, more people are playing to older age now. In fact, you can never, ever stop playing. Um, how's, yeah. how's the numbers going for health through that? And um, I don't know, you've been doing it for a short space, but can you – is there a graph that you can picture – make a picture of for us, like, say, you know, five years ago there was so many people that had um, heart problems or were aware of it or and then in the next two years after that, blah, 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 and then because... Yeah, yeah. The, the, probably the, the, the best reference point would be the Heart Foundation, but there are there are um, different individuals. There's a lot of um, preeminent professors and cardiologists that play football that have done their own in, informal surveys. There's one here, Professor Toffler, who, who is at Sydney University and also the uh, the head of Royal North Shore, which is one of our biggest hospitals in Australia. He, he did a survey of 154 players. Even simple things that players did not even know what their blood pressure was or couldn't even recall when they actually had some blood checks. But the maps, that they're working on maps at the moment. What we, what we can as a charity do is reflect on our numbers from the start when we started heart health screening in 2017 to now. Um, when when I started and we started hitting 20% of people tested had an issue, I started getting panic attacks and anxiety. Then it went to 25. Then it went to 30. And now, this year, as I mentioned earlier, 64% at one testing day in the west of Sydney. Mm. There are heat maps, or the Heart Foundation have maps that show you where the biggest issues are. And I'm, I'm in the process of looking at them and sitting down with them. And, and what Novartis, who have come on board with us, have said, can you do more testing in the west of Sydney, in, in, in the uh, outside of the main capitals where there are issues? What about the Indigenous communities? I'll, I'll leave you with one very important stat. And for us, women's heart health is priority this year, Indigenous and multicultural communities. Women, three times more women, die of cardiovascular disease than all the cancers put together. Wow. And when you tell oh. people that, it is confronting, yeah. people just can't believe it. Yeah. Because I think with heart disease, people have just got this sudden, it happens quickly, they pass away, you move on. With cancer, there's a gradual process with our fight for survival. And when we lose someone, all of a sudden, people then decide, I'm going to do a, a charity in the memory of that wonderful person. And I get that. I totally get that. But heart disease is our biggest killer. And what are we doing as a nation? 
a nation that prides itself in its sporting achievements at every level. And and, and it's time that Mr Albanese, and ironically the first ever 24-7 defibrillator station that is accessible for anyone and everyone, was placed at Anthony's son's football club here in the inner west of Sydney, Marathon Red Devils, where my second team is testing. That is Tim Cale's junior club. Tim Cale and Bailey Wright unveiled that. And I look at that and I think it's time that Albo's in power now. Albo can make a difference. Andy, we'll let you go, but uh, the final thing that you should impart with our listeners is how they can get more information about Heartbeat of yeah, Football. Yeah, just just log, log online, heartbeatoffootball.com.au, and for those of you that, that, that follow me on Facebook and LinkedIn, I'm very active. There's literally one or two posts a day. What I do want to tell your listeners, if you think you've got something wrong, you have got something wrong. If you think you're untouchable, you're not. Mm. Get yourself a regular checkup. Yeah, for peace of mind, not only for yourself, but think of those loved ones around you. When Lewis Camacho died this year, he was fit, healthy. Son rang him up after his first preseason training session. He goes, "I'm a bit short of breath, son. Call me when I get home in 20 minutes." Lewis Camacho made that conversation, that call at around 8:30 at night. His life partner found him slumped over the wheel, dead of a cardiac arrest three hours later with the engine running in the car park at the football ground at wow. Beaver Park. And I want mm. zero deaths in my game. I, 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 do not want, I, I do not want these stories to keep happening. Yeah. I know that they probably will, but at the very least, get yourself a check-up. Andy, thanks so much for joining us. I do appreciate it. You're doing a great job. Love the passion that comes through with your voice, and um, we'll try and facilitate well, any links over you, here. You know, Talk to Alex. Ideally, the next conversation we have is with me in the studio talking about mm-hmm. it when we're over there testing. Yeah, that'll be that. good. Yeah. That'll be good. Yeah, good one. Andy, uh, enjoy the weather and uh, spread the message. Take care. Have a great weekend. Good you on you. See ya. Bye. That was Andy Pascalides from Heartbeat of Football and Make It Red campaign out there doing passionate work for football. Yeah, um, brings to mind the DT38 campaign. Yep. And Tom Beatty's and the work with the ambassadors there and um, they come on our show and have a chat and, and uh, yeah, spread the word with, you know, mental and health awareness. Very important and big vehicle sport. And a somewhat related one that's close to my heart, if you'll pardon the pun, is um, when they're talking about getting a heart checkup and the likes, if you go and donate blood or plasma, they, you know, your, your blood pressure, et cetera, is tested as well and there's some other tests done on your blood. So... You know, if you don't want to go to the doctor and you want to do something good, um, go do a donation at your local Red Cross Blood Centre. That's a good one. Good tip, Pete. Uh, and Bill Busby, thanks for listening in. Ashfield Sports Club need two to three more lady players to join the wonderful ladies and enjoy the club hospitality. Yes, absolutely. Ashfield Sports Club. An amalgamation of various sports, including soccer, football. Mm. We're going to go to break and come back and chat with Alan Ferris from the Community Soccer <coughs> Festival. This is Pen, Pete and Lou, back shortly. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. Greatness is all around us. On pitches, fields and playgrounds. At home and far away. 
It lives in the past. And it's in the faces we look up to. And in those we see every day. Greatness is all around us. It takes us beyond limitations, beyond possibility. Beyond doubt. Beyond expectations. The only question is, where will it take us next? Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels, all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. Do we really believe they come from somewhere else? Leagues in far-off lands. Galaxies full of superstars. What if they were made right here? In the city streets and sun-drenched suburbs. Small towns and home grounds. Our parks and pitches aren't just rectangles of dirt and turf. They're fertile grounds where greatness is unearthed. Where rogage was raised. Where curls grown. Even if they end up there, they all start here. In front of our eyes and hearts. And right here is where you'll find the next one. Welcome back. This is the World Football Program. We're on until noon today. If you catch... Sorry, fail to catch any part of the program. <laughs> you can go to the worldfootballprogram.com.au website and follow the podcast that Miranda's dad, Nick Templeman, has set up very nicely on our website. And uh, we should say, by the way, that uh, Miranda Templeman has had an awesome football journey since uh, being a goalkeeper here in Western Australia to coming into the studio and learning a little bit of the media trade here to over east and Adelaide and now to Melbourne Victory and has scored victory. three finals. Never there thought you go. I'd say that, but yep. <laughs> job, Miranda, and good job, Dad, Nick. We're back talking football and our guest right now is Alan Ferris, who is a representative for the Festival of Community Soccer. That is one heck of a mouthful. And why is it soccer and not football, Alan? Alan, come on, Alan. Yeah. I was listening to you uh, to, to you a bit earlier, but I, I think when we tried to register, we tried to register with the word football because obviously that's what we associate our sport with. But uh, being a heavy AFL-dominated um, city, we weren't allowed to use the word football, so we had to go with soccer. So um, that was the best we could do in registering the name. Do you know what I'm? I'm actually okay with that because it does get a point of differentiation and. A just, this is just my thing that when I'm driving along and it's registration time and all the footy clubs are wanting to register, unless they have like a picture of the ball, it could be mm-hmm. AFL or it could be the world game. I don't know. So, yeah, soccer's fine with me. Yeah, me too. Lou, I got backup. What about you, Lou? Well, we changed, you know, the um, 
the the name of the uh, the the soccer football uh, so, soccer <laughs> hall of fame to the football hall of fame. Yep. Which uh, we gazumpted uh, the the AFL, which mm. they weren't very happy. But you know, I, I made no apology for that because you know, Glory is a Glory football club. So yep. To me, football is a world game. Um, you know, AFL's mainly played with their hands, so I don't know where the football comes into it. But anyway, <laughs> we'll we won't that. we won't state state that. But you know, Alan, you, you've had a um, quite a, a lengthy and diverse career with local government um, and also within um, the football community, um, and playing with the great Robbie Zabika. I did leave. Yeah, uh, Robbie's still probably the best keeper I played with, and I, as you know, I played with the, both the Pekovic boys and and Robbie and people like Dave Roxby and you know some fantastic keepers. But Robbie is still um, the best keeper I played with. But I, I've I've seen um, you a few times, and you've told me that you know the keepers didn't have to do so many saves because you were in between. <laughs> them. Is that right? <laughs> Look, that was that. I'm saying it's partly true. Lou, he was just an outstanding. Uh, he would almost make it look so easy. But uh, if something did get past me, Lou, then sometimes that, it rare, is. that rare would, occasion, yeah. Robbie would yawn and uh, pull a ball out of the top corner. <laughs> Good one. Now, we did get you here to talk about the Festival of Community Soccer. Alan, uh, summarise for our listeners what that actually is. So probably about 12 months ago, we um, a group of us started to think about, you know, obviously the Women's World Cup and how important it is and how special it is to have in our home country and to have in our home state. Just to think about what we could do to, certainly for young women and girls in the, the southern part of our, our community in particular, to try and put on a, a festival event that would showcase football and, and, you know, get people to just enjoy... Uh, the experience of having a once-in-a-lifetime event like the World Cup in uh, in Australia and in Perth in particular, and and to put an event on that uh, that would hopefully um, get everyone to celebrate um, that event. So when is it happening, and where is it, Alan? So Lou, we're we're looking. We've got a Saturday, the fifteenth of July, at uh, at Fremantle Oval. So there's there's been a whole registration process. We've got. Um, our foundation clubs being, you know, Perth Saints, uh, Melbourne Murdoch, Fremantle City and Auburn Grove and a number of other clubs that are uh, going to be part of the event on the 15th, which will be primarily a five-a-side tournament um, for age groups 10s, 12s, 14s and 16s and also an open class. So that would be more of a, um, a bit of a qualifying event but also just about getting people to to enjoy the, the wonderful game that, that we've experienced over a long period. And then on the Sunday, on the 16th, we've got um, what we would call the finals at, uh, at Tompkins Park, which will be where the, the clubs with the highest points will play for the Leeds to Demanda Cup, which, as everyone will know, um, is named after a very special female player in Western Australia. Absolutely. And um, Saturday, 15th, July 16th, is a fixtured weekend for Football West. How are you going to accommodate that one? So as part of, you know, the planning for this event, um, we've been working with Football West um, to to try and accommodate the fixture. So we're still hopeful, and I think there's still um, obviously discussions around, you know, making sure that as much as possible those the clubs that are involved 
aren't fixtured on on that weekend so that they can uh, participate in this event and, and be part of what we think will be something special. We, we expect over 2,000 odd people to be um, at, at both grounds over, over the two days and, and probably um, probably more. So we want to, to be able to, you know, with the help of Football West and, and with the clubs themselves who are really keen to participate to make sure that we, um, you know, that we that we don't have the fixtures to play on those days. Yeah, yeah. It, well, there'll be a few clubs that'll be looking to postpone some fixtures. But, mm. you know, the middle of winter here, I think that happens pretty much every Absolutely. year. Absolutely. Yeah. Are you going to have the great lady herself there, Alan? Uh, will Lisa be there? Is that yes. what you're saying, Lou? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we expect um, uh, Lisa to be to be part of the the event um, over over the two days, and certainly, hopefully, we're hopeful on the on the Sunday um, for Lisa to be there. We'd love, um, and I know Penny. We've had a conversation around maybe Sam Kerr. Um, wow. she, she's obviously very well committed. Um, with her commitments in in the UK and obviously with the Matilda, so. But um, if she is listening, we'd love um, we'd love Sam to come down as well. And what about some uh, former Matildas as well, like Colette McCallum and um, Sandra Bretnell, the 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 legend that she is in the Football Hall of Fame. Um, have they been approached to attend? Uh, n- not at this point. Um, I had the, the pleasure of coaching, particularly against Colette. She was a, a fantastic um, player for, for Australia and for, for Queen's Park. So uh, n- not at this stage. I mean, our, our main focus has been on obviously working with, with Lisa as, as um, you know, the cup is, is and the trophy will be named after her. We've, we've obviously had involvement with through the, um, the Perth Glory and with Tash Rigby, etc., who have been part of our, our promotion. So um, we, ha- we haven't reached out further than that, but um, we, we welcome any participation. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a big event on the two days, largely run by, you know, volunteers. Um, we've had a lot of support from local government, from the educational institutions, Football West, the Glory. So there will be a lot of volunteers. John Curtin, I think, are providing students for the, for the weekend and UWA are providing busier... Um, Notre Dame are providing um, physio students for us um, so that we can support the players. So there's there's a lot of community um, support for this event, which is which is really encouraging. Will it be an annual event? Look, Penny, we've, we've sort of set this up and we, we grappled with this at the start because we did set up a, a not-for-profit body for, for two reasons. One, so that we could show that um, this was a leg- legitimate event and that we were, we were going to do it professionally. Um, but also, um, from a legacy point of view, if, if, if there is some legacy funding, this could be, a, you could use this um, incorporated body as a bit of a conduit. And then there's also the legacy of um, an ongoing tournament. And we've had some discussions with Fremantle City already around taking this event on going forward. So we'll continue those discussions because we think um, it's got some merit in, in continuing. So just in terms of the... Uh, foundation clubs. You said there was the the handful of foundation clubs that had helped uh, with the with the media and get the word out there. Then it opened up to the wider community. Uh, uh, is it a pay as you go, or is it uh, funded so that everyone can be involved? Yes. So it's another good question, Penny. We we we've worked on the basis that it's fully funded. So um, nobody who participates in this event has to pay anything. Um, we've managed to. To work hard to, to get um, a fair bit of sponsorship from you know a number of different partners, 
Um, all up, this event will cost around $40,000 to, to stage, um, including, you know, providing skirts and, and other other memorabilia that we that we'll be able to give to the to the players as part of um you know the memory of this event. So it's um no one no one will have to pay. We we've we've got sponsorship from a, a range of um local government and others to to support the event. And uh, Melissa Spillman, who's an Aboriginal artist who's also a football player for Mandurah, I did coach her when she was in her teenage at uh, Gosnell City, pretty awesome footballer, by the way, on the park as well as in goals, um, is uh, the artwork provider. And it's absolutely amazing the work that she's doing. Um, the website that you guys have got, the Festival of Community Soccer, uh, if you want to find out more about it, there's lots of splashy artwork on there to help promote the um, the festival. Absolutely. Um Melissa is a fantastic um, individual and a, and a wonderful artist. And, and if you do go to the website, you will see um, the logo, which sort of uh, depicts, you know, the soccer balls and the and the journey of the path between young young players to, to older players. So the interpretation of that artwork is um, is fantastic. I think that the originals hanging in the city of Melville um, as one of the supporters of, of of this event, but we've obviously used it. Um, on the trophy, and the Fremantle Men's Club have helped us um, in developing the trophy and using the logo. And it will be on a lot of the um, the memorabilia and, and other things that we will promote um, throughout the event on the 15th and the 16th. So it's a beautiful piece of artwork, and, and when you see it in real life, it is stunning. Could be a possibility for raising some money if you're talking about legacy, maybe having an auction. Uh, for some of Melissa's artwork, maybe see if she. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Penny will will keep that in mind. It's um it's a beautiful piece. Yep. Um, now before we let you go, we should do as much promotion as we can. Are there any spaces available? Are you still needing clubs to nominate? Uh, we look. We it, it's pretty. It it has filled up um really well, but there, there is still room for for clubs. So you can get on the Festival of Community Soccer um, website and register, or you can. Um, call uh, Brian Smith, and I can give you his number, Penny, if that if that helps. We can put that on our webpage. Yep, Pete's giving yeah, me the yeah. thumbs up. Yeah, so I think I've given you I've given you those that number. So there's still there's still an opportunity. Um, we'll try and fit everyone in. We've we've pretty much got a lot of the playing slots um, done, and uh, but we'll uh, if if people are interested, in it, we can we can probably still accommodate some. Yep, and uh, I do have to mention too. We we spoke to Andy Pascalides just before we. Um, started our conversation and he's from the heartbeat of football one of his missions is to raise awareness of heart and health and uh, he said make sure you mention it to Alan Ferris because he's trying to get over here to Western Australia and and promote the message so I'm just promoting the message to you because it's a great cause. Absolutely Um, and you know as part of our where we're holding the events we'll ensure that we've got appropriate um, but I did did listen to Andy that was um, you know very powerful and um, message and around you know making sure that we we look after our, our own health and, and and check for the warning signs. Well, Alan, with your experience in local government, in the comment I made, you know, why doesn't local government with their community centres and sporting centres have their own defibrillators? I'm sure within the local government budget that they have per annum, that you know the cost of these defibrillators are minuscule compared to the others. Um, 
funding that are required within the local government community. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, there's an issue about some of that retrospective stuff, but I think you'd find in, in most of the new builds, I, I know being involved in, you know, the um, in, at the City of Melville, most of our new developments or all of our new developments would have those facilities available. So, um, yeah, but there certainly needs to be some, some, some catch-up and there should be um, the ability to have that sort of equipment there for, you know, the sporting clubs and the general community sometimes who are just walking their dogs and, you know, have, it, have an issue for, for that to be used. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and just a, a little bit of uh, exposure there for the um, Festival of Community Soccer Board or organisation, so to speak. Um, some of the people on there are Jane Fraser, Tony Carvajal, who you um, recognise from football. Uh, Tony's school. birthday today too, too Penny. So um, you can wish him a happy birthday on the radio. Absolutely, definitely a big happy birthday uh, to Tony Carvajal. Um, who spent uh, decades in the school system, did a fantastic yeah. job there promoting, um, I think it was primary school level, uh, or, yeah, it was primary school level um, lightning carnivals, etc. Um, and Peter Rickers, also, you know, Peter. Is Peter retired from John Curtin? Or is he still in that program? I think, um, yeah, I think he is, he is either retired or heading for retirement. So, but he's, um, you know, Peter's been such a fantastic supporter of, of football in this state so to have him involved in in our committee and, and this event is is wonderful absolutely and uh, ingrid walton who's the former deputy mayor of Fremantle, and of course yourself so some um, very powerful passionate people there thanks for joining us today alan to have a chat about the festival of community soccer you can go to our webpage uh, or facebook group the worldfootballprogram.com.au or you can go to the website Festival of Community Soccer and find out more information. Thank you, Alan. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No problems. Enjoy your weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Isn't it amazing that somebody can have a thought about something and then create a festival like this and um, it just shows you, you know, one person can make that difference. So, Congratulations to Alan initially having a thought and then turning it into something with his, you know, committee. You know, it's it's great, but, great to but see. Not only that, if you're not the person that can have the that has the original thought, you can always help out anyway in a volunteering yeah, exactly. role. So yeah, um, and you know, yeah, volunteers. just people putting their hands up to help. That's yeah. I think it's a it's a spirit within now. Aussie community, isn't it? That you know, there's so many volunteers out there that wanting to help, and it it goes through many spectrums in the community. It has you know. to happen, though. We're so bloody big, Lou. The country <laughs> is so enormous that if we we don't, don't have population, that's the problem. But we got to help. If if we don't, like, it's so remote in some places. If you don't get off your bum and do stuff, stuff doesn't get done. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing, though. You know. I used to find that uh, a lot of people would be complaining about why things aren't getting done. And I say, well, if you volunteer and help, then it makes it easier for to get these things done that you're requesting. And then they say, oh, but I don't have the time. Well, you know, stop complaining then. Yeah, always relying on someone else to yeah, get things right. done. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we're going to go to a break and... Hopefully, actually, you know what? We won't go to the break just yet Uh-oh. because I'm going to throw You're to pointing me. at me. Yep, um, we didn't talk about the oh, because the NPL 
fixtures are not on this week because no, of cause the we got cup, cup rounds. We got cup rounds, yep. but we got. I mean, the glory. We have not even mentioned Perth Glory. No, we have. Um, so they're at home tomorrow night against Adelaide United, who we haven't beaten in their last five matches. And although I am a a Glory tragic after our insipid performance last week, I not holding my hopes up, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so finals are still within reach for the Glory. Um, because there's such a uh, logjam of table. We'd need to win our last two matches and probably have a few other things go our way. Uh, Wellington going down 4-0 to uh, Western Sydney yeah, last night that helped us. Shock, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the coach has announced he's moving on um, at the end of the season, but you sort of wonder whether there's a bit of a, well, it's all over then type thing. Um, so yeah, Adelaide that, that's sitting six, third on the table. It's going to be sitting a third and only only down in third by virtue of um, well, uh, Western Sydney winning last night. Um, Adelaide are on an absolute roll. I think they're currently the form team of the league as well. So, you know, uh, I mean, always positive, but yeah, yeah. Well, one of the form teams of the league. <clears throat> so yeah, uh, was there anything in particular you wanted to go over other than that? Mm-hmm. Obviously, we got the women's. Um, uh, whatever they call it, final match Pretty tonight, final. preliminary final, yeah. um, which is this afternoon. You said you're going to be watching. I think we're all going to be watching and cheering on Miranda. Yeah. And uh, like I say, Casey Dumont has been fantastic in goals for Melbourne victory. Yes. And without meaning to sound mean-spirited, I kind of hope she gets injured so Miranda gets on the field. But, you know, <laughs> Sorry, sort of Casey, like a not, a not a bad injury. Just, you know, we want to see Miranda out there. So um, Yeah, we do. That'd yeah. be a, a nice finish to, yeah. Yep. Apparently the last time the teams met, Princess Abini scored a hat-trick for Sydney FC. Although Melbourne Victory are also undefeated in their last eight matches. So you can... You know, I think that, that one's too close to call. Uh, personally, going for Victory both because Miranda's on the team and also because I don't want Sydney to make the grand final with all the stupidity that the FFA... Sorry, not the FFA, the APL has done with the finals. Let's go to a break and we'll get Simon on and I'm sure we can have a chat about that part. Yep. Yeah. This is Ken, Lou and Pete on the World Football Programme. Stay tuned. More banter after the break. Radio Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron is a fourth generation family business. Bring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor.
Ute A-League, live and exclusive on 10 and Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to the World Football Program. Penny, Pete and Louis in the studio. Good afternoon, Simon. How are you and where are you off to? Afternoon, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm on the road up to Newcastle today for the F3 Derby. Yep. Big game between the Jets and uh, the Mariners. Yep. Yep, because Jets are another team looking for that finals berth. Yeah, and uh, they've got to win today yeah. um, because Sydney and uh, Wellington are three points in front. Uh, and they've got an inferior goal difference. So basically their season hinges upon what happens today and obviously the Mariners still... Uh, so, yeah, it should be uh, a good game. The most important F3 derby I can remember in quite a few years. Should be good. So how's the traffic flowing there, uh, Simon? Because that's a notorious... No matter how wide the roads are in uh, New South Wales, it's still traffic. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Sorry, I, I can't hear you very well. I can hear the other two okay, but you're, you're very muffled. Can you just repeat what you said there? Yeah, I was just wondering how the traffic's going because it's a notorious, no matter how wide the roads are in New South Wales, it's the traffic's always slow. <laughs> right, the traffic. Yeah, you look at, well, I'm just literally driving over the Harbour Bridge at the moment, uh, getting out of Sydney. Well, you've got a long way uh, to go yet. Yeah. So far, but they, 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 they constructed this new road called the North Connect. Makes it a bit easier to places like Newcastle, otherwise you were uh, traipsing up the Pacific Highway with three million other people. So it's a little bit easier these days, not much, a little. Mm. Simon, I've got a question. When the Women's World Cup lands, do you have a role? Uh, possibly, mm-hmm. yeah. It's uh, not confirmed as yet, but um, watch this space. Okay. <laughs> cool. That's all I can say at the moment. Because <laughs> it's, it's, not, uh, it's not set in stone, but... Um, yeah, there is there is something in the offence, so hopefully I'll be involved. Yeah, excellent. I'd love to hear you commentating mm. some of the matches. That'd be super. Yeah, well, hopefully you might get your wish, but let's see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if not, there's always a voluntary role, uh, Simon, if you... <laughs> yeah, with uh, all your let, connections. Let me tell you, if I'm not involved, I should be on a plane off to the UK. <laughs> oh, okay. Yep, yeah, 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 definitely. So there's been a few things in the news this week that will... We'll, Know, get it out there and and cover. Huh. One of them is, you know, maybe you can shed some more light than than what we know. Um, Perth Glory have come to light about the club being up for sale again. Any any news that we might not know about there, Simon? No, not really. I mean, I, you know, this is not really news, I guess, because I, I think Tony Sage has been quite open for two or three years now that if uh, if the right investor comes in, he will you know, happily uh, share the load. Uh, whether he wants to sell it uh, lock, stock and barrel, that, that seems less likely. Um, but, you know, you remember the famous London Stock Exchange. Maybe we shouldn't go into that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah. A couple of yeah. years ago. Um, that never eventuated. But, you know, he's, he's clearly looking for outside investment. And look, to be fair to Tony, he, he's carried that burden uh, alone for many years now. It's an expensive business. Yes, yeah, and yes. you know we, we've had a global pandemic in the middle of it. it it's difficult. So uh, if you can get some help uh, and you know big investment into the club, then that, that's that's a good thing. But uh, obviously, it has to be the right partner. And uh, yeah, let's be honest, London Stock Exchange, sure. The London what what was it called? The London Football Exchange. London, Stock yeah, Exchange. London Football Exchange. <laughs> Goodness me, that really would have been something. There was a lot the of techno babble about blockchains and yeah. 
Well, in the country, uh, Simon, is there any, like, A-League clubs that are community clubs that back, you know, some of the uh, English clubs still have that sort of structure. Is that an option for an A-League team, do you think? Well, I mean, that does happen in England, but it's it's at the lower levels. Mm. Um, I don't think there are any Premier League clubs these days, (coughs) excuse me, have that community model. Uh, In theory, it's a lovely idea. Um, And I think in an ideal world, we would all love our clubs to be owned by the fans, by the members, or whatever you want to call it. But in this day and age, you know, football clubs cost an awful lot of money. Sport is big business these days, and uh, for it to survive and thrive, you need investment. And, uh, yeah, we, we certainly don't have that model in the A-League at the moment. Um, whether we could get it or not, I don't know. But it, it would require, you know, thousands upon thousands of members. Now, Real Madrid do it, for example, in Spain. But they've got, what, I don't know, 200,000 members, 300,000, half a million? I don't know how many it is. Um, and they all get a vote. And yes, that's lovely in, in, in theory, but you know, unfortunately we don't have clubs the size of Real Madrid in this country. And um, I, I guess the nearest thing that we're going to get to it is you know, local owners, philanthropic owners who are <clears throat> dyed-in-the-wall football fans want their club to succeed. But you know, let's take the Newcastle Jets as an example. Martin Lee, their previous owner, left in January 2021 and they are still to this day the Jets owned by the owners of three other clubs. Mm. They haven't been able to find a suitable buyer. Now that's really sad. Um, You know, why is there nobody in the local community there stepping up and saying, you know what, I'll buy it, we'll take it on, maybe a consortium, we'll, we'll pay for it and uh, let's instill some local pride into this club. But, uh, you know, we, we just don't have those people. And if we do, they're not interested in football, unfortunately. This is, you know, what you get. I mean, in Perth, it's a classic example. Was it, what's his name, Andrew Twiggy Forrest? Yeah. Yep. You know, he's probably one of the wealthiest individuals in WA, but not interested in football, unfortunately. No, he's, he's a rugby so, man through and through. You know? Yeah. Yeah, is, is that the lack of investment? Do you think is due to the current structure of the A League than it was before? Was before? Do you mean? Well, in, but, in the NFL but, days, or? yeah, in the NSL days. I mean, we, we that's what picked up, and then you know it was the FA that was running it, um, and now the clubs are running the league themselves, <laughs> and the whole structure's changed. Do you think that's changed well, the? Look at- the mindset of the fans. It has changed. Uh, well, uh, look, this is a very multifaceted question. Um, you know, the NSL obviously was semi-pro. It was not a full-time competition. So, by definition, it was cheaper to run football clubs in the National Soccer League. So that's yeah. the first thing. Uh, the second thing, you know, the FA ran it for many years and, yeah, you'd probably say for many years did a good job. Uh, but, you know, every organisation needs to evolve. And the clubs were losing money hand over fist. Um, they didn't own any of the IP. For example, if Perth Glory sold a shirt with the Perth Glory badge on it, uh, most of the money went to Football Australia, mm. as, as was. So, you 
know, they, they were struggling to make any money at all or even to break even. So the clubs wanted their own structure and to run it themselves. And, and I had some sympathy with that. Now, we didn't necessarily, in my opinion, need to go the whole hog and have a revolution. But what we got was a power struggle between the Lowys, who, you know, let's be honest, ran Football Australia. You can call it the board if you want, but it was dominated by Frank Lowy and then Stephen Lowy. And the clubs, and neither side was willing to compromise. Uh, unfortunately, the game has been the loser, in my opinion, on the back of all that. Um, is this structure perfect? Probably not. Was the previous structure perfect? Probably not. Uh, the ideal outcome would have been some sort of compromise, but unfortunately, when you get a load of rich businessmen in the same room, uh, they're not used to losing or compromising. So... The game was caught in the middle of it. As I said, it's a very multifaceted question. I could go on for about three hours on that. <laughs> well, then maybe, like you were saying, the current structure was maybe not the best in, in the previous. Then is it time to revisit the structure and say, OK, this was the best part of the FA model. This is the best part of the current model. And, you know, bringing those two bits together and saying, OK, this is how we should be moving forward. Well, of course. But you're assuming that the rich businessmen that I just talked about yeah. prepare for this, <laughs> and they're not. Well, um, yeah. we you know, don't they, know they everything, do we, Simon? Governance for to gain control of yeah. this league, and they're not about to give that up uh, because you know people complain about it. Now, to be fair, we are only what 80 months, two years into their leadership. We've yeah. had a pandemic in the middle of it, um, so it is you know, struggle and you, you've got to give them a little bit of leeway, but you're right. You know, I'd like to see a little bit better progress than we've, than we've got in terms of bombs on seats, TV ratings, uh, the financial situation of many, if not most of the clubs. Um, and they will be judged upon that. So make no mistake. Um, and we're probably, you know, fast approaching uh, that, that part of, uh, their era of running the league. Now, financially, you could argue that they've done a decent job because you look at the TV deal, for example, 40, 50 million. You look at the Silver Lake investment, 120 million. You look at the fact that they're just about to flog off two licenses, 25 million a pot, that's 50 million. And of course, they've sold very controversially, um, and I don't agree with it. They have sold. Uh, the rights to the grand final as well to Sydney for the next three years yep. at an estimated $15 million. So that's an awful lot of money that's come into the game. Now, you, you can argue that from a, a business point of view, that's that's success. Um, but you've also got to marry up the, the requirements of the football community. And uh, I, I think that in some ways is where they've been found wanting a little bit. They, they promised to listen to the fans and make it a game for the fans um, I don't necessarily think they've done that uh, certainly 100% successfully since they took over and uh, you know, that's something that they've got to fix. Well, uh, the Cove supporters have come out with a statement <laughs> this week. Uh, yes. Yeah, go, go. Um, no, I'm not going to read it out. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's too long to read out. They're boycotting the finals, that's, basically. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. the yeah. shortened version, yeah. 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 And uh, well, fully, look, fully you support know, We, we live in a democracy here, and football fans, like anybody else, are more than entitled to have their opinion and to protest if they feel that that is justified. Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't buy the argument that, oh, you should just get behind your team uh, no matter what. Um, I'm not saying it's the path that I would choose, but it's their prerogative. And if they feel that they can make a difference by making that statement, well, you know, that's that's their opinion. And when you live in a democracy, you have to understand and respect that. And I think there are there are too many people, particularly in Australia and certainly in football in Australia, who try to browbeat supporters into doing uh, what other people think they should do. I, I will always be on the side of the football supporter because I'm one myself. So if they feel that's the right way to go, I don't necessarily say it's what I would do, but I support their right to an opinion and their right to protest. That is the very cornerstone of a Western democracy. So, so just to let the listeners know, this is going back to about the grand final rights. Yep. And they're not, Correct. They're not happy with it. Yeah. I, I found it interesting at the time that they did announce the grand final uh, would be in Sydney no matter what. They sort of talked it up as there was, there was going to be a big festival of football, um, yada, 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 week-long event, travel packages, the likes. Um, and they sort of forgot that there's also a women's league um, that they'd also sold the grand final to, which obviously their grand final isn't in the same week. It's it's coming up, you know, next weekend. Um, and, yeah, that's sort of been completely overlooked with the whole thing um, with regards to, you know, it's all well and good to say we're going to have this big finals festival and, yeah, the grand final will be in Sydney. It'll be a massive event and, and all that. But they've also sold the women's rights. Um, I think I said at the time, if they had have done it not for the... A-League Grand Final, but for the FFA Cup Grand Final, said, right, this is going to be held in Sydney, like like in England with the FA Cup Final being held in Wembley. Um, I don't think anyone would have had a problem with it. Yeah, well, look, a couple of things on that. First of all, obviously, the APL uh, don't run the Australia Cup. That's run by football That's Australia, a good point. Yep. so they couldn't make that decision. <laughs> Uh, secondly, with, with the women's grand final, you're right that they're in different weeks this season, but it's my understanding that in fairness to the APL, in future seasons, they will have the grand finals on the same weekend and the okay. seasons will be more aligned. Of course, we're going to have a, you know, a, a more expanded uh, women's competition again next season with the inclusion of the Mariners. So uh, yep. that's not to say that I agree with the decision to uh, sell the, the three grand finals to Sydney because I don't, and, mm-hmm. I, and I've said that publicly. Um, I, I understand that the APL needs money, that, that much is clear, but uh, of all the things that needed fixing in this game and this league, and there are plenty of them, uh, the grand final location wasn't one of them. That, yep. that was something that we had over the other codes, and you had it there over in Perth uh, three or four years ago. Yeah, exactly. It was a sellout. Mm. Stadium. Uh, we've, we've had grand finals in Adelaide, in Brisbane, Melbourne, etc., and they've all been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, the, the ironic thing it's a, was it's when a Sydney hosted it. It's that we've lost that. Yeah. I, I was saying that the ironic thing was Sydney actually um, was at the lower end for grand final crowds. Um, Perth, Melbourne, Brisbane all had larger crowds than when it was held in Sydney with um, with uh, Sydney FC hosting. Well, look, look to be, again, to, just for the sake of fairness, the <laughs> yeah. grand finals that have been held in Sydney have been held at Allianz Stadium, which obviously has a, a, a lower capacity yeah. than uh, both Optus, Suncorp and Marvel Stadium in Melbourne. So that, that's one of the reasons. Had Allianz held 60,000, I'm sure they would have filled that as well. But okay. it's, a, it's a minor point. Yep. Hmm. 
So for our listeners, games this weekend. Melbourne Victory are playing Sydney for the women's prelim final at the Allianz Stadium. Yep. Three o'clock kickoff, and you're going to have to remind three o'clock at So, so the winner goes into Eastern, the grand final against Western United. That's Eastern Standard Time, so that's about one o'clock our time. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, in other words, I'm going to get home straight away after the program. Yeah, that's okay. Right. You got it. Uh, and last, is it the last round of the A League Men's? Two more? No, no. So the Glory Glory no, is playing um, this round. weekend and next week. An okay. round. It is, yep. Sweet. All right. Um, and sitting on top of the table uh, and... The and having having wrapped up the title already. Um, yes, they have. Melbourne City, which as as an aside, um, a lot of people sort of carry on about, you know, we have finals here in Australia yeah. and no one else. I like finals. And one of the reasons I like finals is the fact that if we didn't have finals, the season's already over. Melbourne City have won it. We don't have relegation, so there's no relegation battles. Um, and, you know... To be honest, as a Glory fan, whether we finish sixth or whether we finish ninth on the table, if there's no finals up for grabs, is fairly academic. Um, whereas, with with still a finals berth, there's still something for the team to fight for. Yeah. So. I yeah, like but the, the thing is, what I don't like is you know teams stumbling into the the final and, and just get into sixth place, oh, and then they, they get knocked out the next. They round. get they get found out quick enough. Yeah, yeah. that's what I mean. So. For. You, you know, if you're, you're in the six, you should be uh, strong enough to actually get into the grand final and win the competition. And that's but, what you should be focusing and on. And that's one of the beauties of football is that it does throw up more upsets than any other sport. Um, so, yes, you can. Ha- I mean, we saw Melbourne victory two or three years ago, won the grand final from fourth spot on the ladder. Uh, so, you know, it happens. It can happen, yeah. yeah. You yeah. don't want it to happen every season. You want the strongest team to win it most of the time. Why not? But I mean, you, need, need, you need these occasional, you know, upsets. Yeah. yeah. Simon, are you still there? Yep, still here. Just, just, <laughs> sorry, sorry. About we, we went on a bit of a chat there. So, um, who do you reckon's made a difference this year in terms of players and coaches that uh, you know really stood out in the A League? Uh, well, that's a good question. Um, I guess you're looking at some of the younger players that have, you know, made their mark. Uh, I, I watched one last night, actually, and Aidan Simmons, who's only literally just burst onto the scene the last few weeks. Um, and he's more naturally a right winger, but he's he's been pushed into service as a right fullback because of an injury to Gabriel Clerk for the Western Sydney Wanderers. Uh, and he's made such a good impression that Clerk can't get back in the team. <laughs> um, and he scored a goal as well. Like you know, all, yeah, he scored a great goal. He scored his first goal in the A-League last night, and, and the Wanderers were terrific. Um, and there are stories like that, you know, right around the league. There's Nestoria and Kunda, of course. Mm. At uh, Adelaide United, is going to be a huge star, huge star. Uh, the Mariners have got some great young players uh, being developed. Um, there are players over in Perth that have been given their opportunity. Cameron Cook, goalkeeper. Yellowkit, Yeah, you know, so... I mean, that's partly what the league should be about. It's about bringing through that next generation. Obviously, it's not just a youth development league. Um, you've got to be competitive as well. But uh, I think in terms of coaches, the one that's probably impressed me the most this season is Carl Beard at uh, Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Because he's he's got that blend so perfectly balanced between youth and experience. Obviously, he's got Craig Goodwin, who's a terrific footballer, and some other experienced players besides Ben Haller and Ryan Kitto. But the likes of Joe Gauchi, Nestori Urankunda, uh, Louis DiRigo, you know, th- those young local kids have, have really made their mark this season. So 
he would probably be my pick. I think probably for coach of the year, to be honest. I think Jordan Boss has had a fantastic season. He's very exciting. Him too. Yep, absolutely. Uh, he's you know he's been linked with a a move to Manchester City, which is obviously the the parent club of Melbourne City. Um, he'd probably go out and loan somewhere if he did make that move. But uh, you know the, the O League has has produced, or the O League men I should say has produced a lot of good young players uh, that have gone overseas. Uh, Garen Quall, Nathaniel Atkinson, Kai Rolls, Keanu Bacchus. You know, there are a lot of these players who are making the jump straight from the A-League into good standard European leagues. And unfortunately, you know, our competition has a bit of a perception problem that people think it's substandard. It's just not the case. Mm. The issue with our league is that not enough people are emotionally invested in it. That's that's the biggest problem. There's nothing wrong with the quality. And some of the young kids coming through at the moment are absolutely terrific. I agree. Emotionally invested, but you mean enough to get their bums on seats? Enough to go and pay your money to go and watch your team week in, week out. Uh, And obviously there are some who do that. Um, And I'm not having to go there. It's it's more the fact that we've got millions of football supporters in this country. We all know that because they all turn up come World Cup time. They fill up the the squares around the country cheering on the Socceroos. It'll be the same for the Matildas during the Women's World Cup. Um, they pack out stadiums, whatever, Liverpool or Real Madrid or Juventus come and play you know, these exhibition matches over here, and yet they will not make the five minutes trek down the road to go and watch their local team. And that's the disconnect, and unfortunately it's one that we still haven't fixed. On the women's side of things, standout coaches and players for the A-League women. I personally think Courtney Vine adds... A fantastic dimension into the A League, yep. and Casey Dumont has been outstanding in goals this season. Sorry to fluff it, I know, but and we <laughs> we I, I fl- I've just put put a pin into Pete's cushion there because <laughs> Veranda Templeman, who has you know done a little bit of a traineeship through this program here and has a you know connect with WA, she's sitting waiting for that opportunity yep. at Melbourne Victory, and Casey Dumont's keeping it out of it, <laughs> playing really well. Yeah. She is. She's having an outstanding season. And uh, quite why she's not in the mix for the Matildas at the moment, I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's some good goalkeepers ahead of her, but she's playing regularly, playing out of her skin at the moment. Um, I, I'd add a couple of other names uh, to the ones that you mentioned. Hannah Keane, who's been one of the reasons behind Western United's uh, success this season. They're in the grand final, of course, against Sydney or, or Melbourne Victory. And Michelle Heyman, who you, yeah. you could probably... Uh, respectfully, label a veteran these days, but still banging in the goals. And another one that you know probably should be in the mix with the Matildas, but for some reason isn't. Um, so I, I've enjoyed the extended season that the women's competition has had this year. Yep. We needed to get to 18 games. Next year it'll be even more with the Mariners coming in. And uh, you know that's the sort of uh, building block we need to see uh, being put in place if, if the women's game is going to succeed again. The disconnect, and this was proven, the semi-final last week, a Melbourne derby, and albeit it was played out uh, at Casey, 742 people yeah. turned yeah. up to watch. I, I mean, it's it's just nowhere near good enough, despite the location, which wasn't easy, I know. But, you know, less than a 1,000 people for a derby in a semi-final is just, uh, well, it's just not good enough. The, the, the attendance during the season has been, on average, about 1,200 people 
the, supposedly. The, the, the impressive yes, team and, has been well. You know, this goes against the grain of what's happening, particularly in Europe at the moment, where women's football is growing exponentially. And if I have a beef with this legacy program that Football Australia keeps stroking, and there's lots of things in there that I completely concur with, you know, awareness, participation, equality. Yep, I'm all for that. But again, the missing link for the game in this country is getting committed supporters to go and pay their money because from that comes everything else. More opportunities for players, for coaches, for administrators, for broadcasters, dare I say. And yet we still bang on about participation. We've got participants coming out of our ears. We've got so many participants in this game in Australia. We, we, don't, we don't have enough pitches to exactly. yeah. We don't need any more participants. No. What, what we need is fans. Yeah. And that's what we don't have. Yes. I agree. Simon, we'll leave it there. I, I love the passion in your voice when you get to that part about yeah the, the fans <laughs> part. <laughs> I get on a roll, Penny, sorry. You do. You absolutely do. Love it. All right. I uh, hope we've inspired a little bit of uh, mental thought on your journey. Um, thank you very much for joining us today, Simon, and have fun with all of your soccer adventures over the weekend. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a Thanks, good weekend. See ya. Thank you. That got him going. They could have got him going for another 10 or 15 minutes if he had it. Pen, what did you say the average crowds in the women's A-League were this season? Around 1,200? Yeah, yeah, pretty close. It's actually 1,196. <laughs> and as oh an average, it's, it's up by one from the previous season, which was 1,195. So mm-hmm. that's a bit disappointing. But, but uh, to be fair, there's a lot more matches this season. So the total attendance is, is up, is, is way up. Yeah, but you didn't take COVID into the factor. Pre well, pre COVID was around yeah, two thousand. COVID's not in anymore. Uh, we yeah, there was no, the yeah, it years. was at its peak. We were at two thousand for yeah. the women's league. Nice, um, yeah. guys. We're going to wrap this up. The jazz show is next with Len and Bags Groove. This has been Pen and Pete and Lou. It's been great to have you in the studio, Lou. Mm. We'll, Thanks for having me. Yep, yeah, yeah, good to see you, you again. Come yeah. back and chat more football. We'll talk different things next time. Yeah, sure. Um, the team, the world football team is Hugh, Penn, Sean and myself. I said that? No, I said Hugh, Pete, Sean and myself. There you go. Uh, we're wrapping up two hours of football. Thanks for listening in. Go to the podcast on the world football website if you've missed any part of the show. And we'll see you again. Enjoy your football. See you later, everyone. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.